his words. <coughs> this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <coughs> Thank you, Tracy. Um, a quick quiz question to start with this morning. Some will know this, some won't have a clue. What's the highest mountain in England, Wales, and Scotland? Nevis. 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 Not you guys. Snowden. 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 Anyone climb Snowden? Yeah, you climb Snowden. Okay, so maybe about a third of the people climb Snowden. Yeah. Uh, anyone know the highest mountain in um, England? Scarfell. Scarfell Pike. You climbed it? No. Oh. <laughs> you said it with such confidence there. I thought, oh, well, this guy's climbed Scarfell Pike. Um, has anyone climbed Scarfell Pike in here? Claire's climbed it. Oh, yes. Yeah, doing it in a few weeks. Oh, yes, yes, a few doing it in April. We're doing it in April. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so mountains, uh, the, we, we moved to Essex, or we moved to Colchester, Darren and I, about 10 years ago. <coughs> Joined Colchester Cornerstone Church uh, about two years ago. My name's Mark, I'm one of the members here, and John's asked me to uh, lead our thought this morning. Um, we, we, we love mountains, absolutely love them. So moving to Essex was a really bad move. <laughs> One of the flattest counties in the country, for those of you who, don't, who come from other places in the land, if you want to go into the mountains, go and live in Cumbria, go and live in North Wales, go and live in the Peak District, don't live in Essex, it's flat. And it's, um, well, it's lovely, but it's, it's not if you like mountains. So this morning we're going to be looking at the, the who, the what, the why, the how, a whole variety of ways of looking at trials in life. And I'll come back to the why I've talked about mountains in a minute, but we're looking at trials this morning. And I'm conscious that some of you here this morning will be in a situation where life's really a bed of roses. It'll be, you know, things are going well, studies are going well, families are going well, a good relationship with your wife, husband, girlfriend, boyfriend, parents, kids, whatever, and actually things are quite smooth. Others of us will be do you know, it's been a tough week. There's been some real trials, some testing of my faith, some real <coughs> challenges that have hit me that I wasn't perhaps expecting. Perhaps my studies have been harder than I thought. Perhaps that exam didn't go as well. Perhaps that financial situation in my life is a bit testing at the moment. We do live a life of good things and bad things. And we do have trials in our life. And we're going to unpack this morning in this book of James. Some great teaching that really hits the road, where the rubber hits the road. Absolutely practical stuff. And I'm conscious this morning that many in here will have a personal faith in Jesus Christ, and will absolutely have maybe have heard this before, or have an understanding of that relationship. I'm also conscious that there'll be some in here this morning who don't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but are perhaps exploring Christianity, or perhaps have been invited in by a friend, or perhaps thinking, is this for me? And my prayer is that over, we, over this next few minutes as we unpack this together, that there'll be an opportunity for you to think, well, have I got that sense of security and confidence in my life that these Christians have got? So going back to the mountain, so Claire and I are going up to North Wales actually in a couple of weeks, in half term. And we're gonna hopefully 
try and, it's my birthday in the middle of February, for those who don't know, it's a very important date. Read really, <laughs> please. And on my birthday, I would like to climb Snowdon, which is a challenge in February, because it could be, like today, it would be beautiful, and you'd have stunning views at the top, you'd be able to see across the whole of North Wales. We've been up there before in May, and we had to pull back, because it was snow and ice, and actually, unless you were really equipped for winter mountaineering, it was very dangerous. So hopefully we're going to climb it in a couple of weeks' time. We've been up it many times, and I love climbing mountains, as I said. And it reminded me of this story of a small girl who had been promised the privilege of climbing to a nearby mountaintop. Her brother enjoyed playing at the bottom of the mountain, and she wanted to climb to the top. When she came within sight of the steep, rough path coming near the summit, she drew back in dismay. Why? There isn't a smooth spot anywhere, she said. It's all bumpy and stony. Yes, said her more experienced older brother. But how else would we ever climb to the top if it wasn't? The stones and bumps are what we step on to get there. And that really sort of underpins a lot of what we're gonna learn about this morning. That we have stones and bumps in our lives. That they are there for a purpose, and we learn from them, and we grow with them, and we get to that place where the Lord is taking us. So this morning we're going to do that through looking at the book of James. And this is a man who right at the beginning says, he, he describes himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for those of us in business or management or leadership, servant leadership is quite a big thing that people like to claim that they use. I'm going to be servant-hearted in my leadership. Well, that actually comes back to this sort of biblical perspective here. People like James, Jesus often referred to himself as a servant. James, a servant of God. He could have said, I'm a brother of Jesus Christ. He could have said, I'm a leader of a church. But he describes himself as a servant of God and a servant of Jesus Christ. Here is a man writing with a true perspective of Christian leadership. He understands who he is and who the people of God are within the Christian family. And his style of love and humility keeps coming across in this passage that Christ read to us this morning. So this morning we're looking at life, not through sort of rose-tinted lenses, not through a sort of health and well-being perspective, well, if I try a bit harder, it's all going to be good, but real life. Life that perhaps means you wake up wondering if you'd had any sleep at all. Life that means that friends and family do get sick and they die and sometimes they leave us. Life that means that people let us down and those who we thought were friends, well, actually we wonder. Life where the people that we mix with at university, at school, at college, in work, outside of work, probably don't even know that we're a Christian and our light we sometimes feel is really small. Life where those who do know that we follow Jesus Christ mock us behind our backs. Life where perhaps you ache for the past, the good old days. Life where you wonder if you missed plan A for your life and you're now on plan B. These are the stones and the bumps of life. And these are the places that the Bible knows about and can teach us about and where God proves that he is our maker 
and knows us better than we know ourselves. A little bit later this morning, we're going to sing a great hymn called What a Friend We Have in Jesus, All Our Sins and Griefs to Bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Many of you will have sung that great hymn and know those words. I don't know if you know the story behind that, but the author of that hymn, Joe Scriven, was a missionary from Ireland to Canada, working amongst the Indians there. And while he was there, he was joined by his fiancée, who was also from Ireland, and just before the wedding, she was killed in a terrible ice accident. He buried her with his own hands and a broken heart. But as a Christian, he knew that life would have trials, and that's the most extreme trial, isn't it? A year later, in a letter to his mother, he wrote that hymn with those famous words, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And then he goes on to say, Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And the hymn goes on. And we'll sing that hymn later, and you can reflect on that. As well. <coughs> So in God's sovereignty, so God's perfect plan for our lives, one of the best tests of Christian maturity is, in God's wisdom, trials. God has never said, you become a Christian and all your problems will go away. And if everyone ever teaches you that, that is not true. When we have personal trials, we discover what kind of faith we really possess. Trials reveal our faith, they also develop our faith and our Christian character. Some years ago when uh, President Obama was president of the US, he would do a daily gathering with his family when he was there, around the table, and he'd ask his wife, Michelle and the kids, he'd say, what have been your roses and your thorns today? What have been the high points of today, the roses? What have been the tough things, the, the things that have really got on your skin a bit, the thorns? What have been your roses and thorns? We often do that after we've had a trip, not on a daily basis, but on a, after you've had a trip or a holiday, we'll sit down and sort of reflect back on what we've done and we'll say, what have our roses been? What have our thorns been? And life is full of roses and thorns. And some of those thorns and trials and temptations can be really tough. So let's look this morning at the what, the why, and the how of trials in this passage. So first of all, what will happen? Well, this is where we have to wake up and smell the coffee. Verse 2, we will have trials. Very clearly says here in verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So we are going to meet trials. They come to us whether we're saved here or not saved this morning, but they're not by accident. And if you will know Romans 8, 28, we read and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those according to his purposes. We have a loving Heavenly Father who controls the affairs of this world and has a purpose behind each event. I was reminded a few years ago at a Christian conference we were at that God is never surprised. So God wasn't surprised when Putin invaded Ukraine. God wasn't surprised about the situation in the Middle East. God isn't surprised when you get a bad result in your massive exam. God isn't surprised when you prang a car in the car in front of you. That's not taking God by surprise and him thinking, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I didn't see that one coming. 
God does actually know in his sovereignty what is happening and what is ha- and why it's happening. And God has said, we will have trials. Some people teach the Christian life is trial-free. Well, I think everyone in this room can say that is not true. Christian life is not trial-free. We will have trials. We are human. We are fallen. And those of us who are Christians here today may sometimes actually have even more trials. We're walking a narrow way and we're following someone who was despised and rejected by men. That was the description given to Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men. So Jesus wouldn't have won traitors. Jesus wouldn't have won strictly. Jesus wouldn't have won dancing on ice. He wouldn't have won Bake Off or MasterChef or I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Jesus wasn't popular. He was despised and he was rejected by men. And it gets worse. We read here in James, secondly, that we will have various kinds of trials, not just one, challenges and trials that maybe test our faith, trials that are perhaps unexpected. I find those the hardest. When you sort of know something could happen or could be difficult, you can sort of prepare yourself for it. It's when something happens and it sort of can knock you a bit because you suddenly think, where did that come from? We're going to have trials of various various kinds, James says it. Tests that knock us when we're down. And then thirdly, we're going to be tempted. What will happen? We will be tempted. Read here. Let no one say when he is tempted. Tempted to give up sometimes. Tempted to feel sorry for ourselves. Tempted to stray. Tempted to look at things on the internet we shouldn't be looking at. Tempted to go to places we know we shouldn't be at. Tempted to do things we know we shouldn't do. Well, it's a great job that the story doesn't end here. Because that would be a really down place to leave this morning, wouldn't it? It's not the best advert for signing up to follow Christ today, is it? If you're not a Christian and you left now, you'd think, gosh, I'm going to have some tough trials in my life. They're going to come in various ways. I'm going to be tempted to give up and join the crowd. I'm going to have to be different. I'm going to be laughed at. And in some places in the world, I'm going to be killed. That's not the best advert for becoming a Christian, is it? We will have trials, they will come in various ways, and we will be tempted. James is pulling no punches here. They're landing hard. That is what life is like. So before we look at how we respond to that, let's come to our second point. Why do we have trials? I don't know if you remember back to the Olympics. I think it's Olympics year this year, isn't it? 24? I was trying to think of the, the, the sort of the four-year cycle, because I remember 2012, 2016, 2020, and it's every four years, so this will have Olympics again this year. So some of the great Olympians, I'm going to quote British ones, I'm afraid, for those of you from other countries, you know, like Mo Farah, Jessica Ennis, or maybe Usain Bolt from Jamaica. You remember them racing for the crown, racing to win, get that glory. Well, in verse 12 here in our passage, we read about Blessed is the man who remains steadfast, that's strong, secure, under trial. And when we say man here, man is just a, another way of saying people, men, women, child, children, whatever. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So let's just quickly look at that crown of life. He's not here talking about some sort of jewel-encrusted thing that maybe King Charles had when he was crowned last year. 
but the laurel wreath, wreath that was given to winners in athletic games and also to victorious emperors. That's the reward for faithful perseverance, eternal life, with all of its abundant blessings. We stand firm under trials to receive that crown of life. That's what James is saying here. So in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, we read, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for a few days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So some teaching about why we have trials. First of all, these trials are not from God, but allowed by God. We read here in verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So we're gonna have trials and temptations, and they are being allowed by God, but they don't come from God. So what's God's purpose in trials? Well, it's the perfection of that Christian character in us as children. He wants us as children, and whether you're 65 or 15 today, it doesn't matter, he wants us to mature and that maturity happens in the laboratory of life. Many of you know our youngest son, Jacob, who's at um, University in Durham at the moment. Um, he, we, we sort of reflect back on him as sort of someone who's matured in life. So when he was two or three, he started nursery school, he wouldn't leave Claire. He was crying his eyes out, desperate not to be taken into nursery. He'd start primary school, he couldn't do his shoelaces up. He had to tie his laces up before he went to school. He was immature. Then he started secondary school and he had to take a bus to get to school. And he's simply starting to mature. Now he's at university and we hear from him every few weeks. And he's involved with the Christian Union there and church and leading stuff and playing lots of sports. And he's matured and he's now independent. He's grown over those, he's 21, so over those 21 years. He has grown and developed and matured. And it wouldn't all have been easy. There were times of tears, there were times of toughness, there were some good times, but there were also some tough times. And it takes faith on the part of the Christian, those who are saved here this morning, to trust God during testings. Because God does have that divine purpose as he helps us to yield to him. They are allowed by God, but don't come from God. So why does God allow them? Well, it says here in verse 2, trials can produce patience. In Romans chapter 5, we read, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope or patience. So there's sort of an order here. Suffering, endurance, character, hope. If you remember back to the Old Testament, to Exodus, when we read about, or Genesis, we read about the young Joseph who was put through 13 years of testing that he might be made a king out of him. Peter spent three years in the school of testing to be changed from sand to a rock. Paul went through massive testing. So trials can produce patience in us. And then God also allows them because he wants us to be perfect and complete. What does it say here in verse 3? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. 
perfect and complete. Many of you know we love going to Cornwall on holiday, and when we're in Cornwall, we go to a little fishing village called Mervagissi, and there it's very quaint, very pretty, and people love to paint pictures. It's sort of an artist's dream, and we see artists come there with their oils, and they set their easel up, and they'll spend the day painting a picture of the boats bobbing in the harbour and the, and the lighthouse flashing and the kids playing on the beach and so on. We were there last year and there was an artist just outside where we were staying looking down and she was painting this beautiful picture. And I thought, well, that is absolutely incredible. I mean, I'd love to be able to paint anything, but to be able to do it at that level was extraordinary. She'd done this superb picture. And then to my horror, she got some white spirit and she scrubbed out a big chunk of the picture. And I was like, why are you doing that? Why are you taking away that? It, was, it looked perfect and complete to me, but she knew as the artist that it wasn't perfect and complete. She changed some areas, she worked on some other parts, she added some texture, and then she redid that area and it took it to a different level. It truly made it perfect and complete. The picture I had first looked at and thought was complete would now have looked a mess compared to her final work. A picture that maybe would have been worth a few hundred pounds was potentially now worth a few thousand pounds because she had had to go through that trial of taking out a part of it to make it perfect and complete. And God is that artist in our lives. He knows what perfect and complete looks like. For each of us, he knows what perfect and complete looks like for every single person in this room. Better than our best friends, our family, our children, our parents. And it will be different for each of us. But it's so much better than what we think it is. And sometimes he'll make it perfect and complete by taking us through a trial. There'll be times when he has to scratch out an area to reform it. Sometimes that action may be strong and sometimes it may be really delicate and gentle. And he's doing it for us to be perfect and complete. And sometimes that's not always for our benefit. Sometimes it's for somebody else's benefit. Somebody can see us going through a trial, but actually they grow out of it. Somebody once said, you will have no test of faith that will not fit you to be a blessing if you are obedient to the Lord. I've never had a trial, but when I go out of the deep river, I find some poor pilgrim on the bank that I was able to help by that very experience. So sometimes things will happen to you that you'll cope with and move on from, but actually other people will learn from how you did that, how you coped with it, how you managed it, how you committed it to the Lord, how you um, grew through that. And then what else are they here for? They're here to help us to be wise. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Here in verses 5 to 8, James deals with this matter of faith, wisdom, and prayer. We know that we do not always understand God's purpose, and often Satan tempts us to ask, does God really care? And that's where prayer comes in. But let's not be double-minded or doubting as we read in verse 6 here. So the trials are allowed by God, they teach us patience, they help us to become perfect and complete, and they help us to be wise. So finally, our third point in how do we respond? Many of you have heard of William Carey, who was a pioneer missionary in India uh, many years ago. Amazing guy. 
and his supporters in England sent a printer to assist him. Soon the two men were turning out portions of the Bible for distribution around India. Carey spent many years learning the language so that he could produce the scriptures in the local dialect, so it was right for the people that he was working with. He also prepared dictionaries and grammars for the use of his successors. One day, while he was away, a fire broke out and completely destroyed the building. The presses, the Bibles, the dictionaries, the manuscripts, the grammars. When he returned and was told of the tragic loss, William Carey showed no sign of despair or impatience. Instead, he knelt and thanked God that he still had the strength to do the work over again. He started immediately, not wasting a moment in self-pity. Before his death, he had duplicated and even improved on his early achievement. So how should we respond to trials? I mean, that's a man who responded in an extraordinary way. We've got four practical principles here, and then I'll close. In these verses, James teaches us four ways to respond to trials. And the first one in verse 2 seems the weirdest possible response. We're to respond with joy. With joy? Really? How am I supposed to be joyous? When universe is going bad, when my marriage is going bad, when my finances are bad, when my health is bad, how am I supposed to have joy in those situations? Well, the Jews to who James was writing were experiencing trials and he wanted to encourage them. And the strange thing is that he tells them to rejoice. How are we to have joy in times of trouble? Well, James gives the answer in this first chapter by showing the certainties that Christians have in times of tribulation. Consider it pure joy when you face trials in verse 2. James not only instructs us to face trials with joy, but pure joy. He's not telling us to fake it. We should have a joy which is not contrived or forced as some impossible religious obligation. Oh, it's been a really bad day, so I'm going to smile through gritted teeth. No, it's not that external joy. It's this inner joy. It's that pure, unadulterated, all-encompassing through joy. It's the real thing. I don't know if you've been on a train from Colchester recently, but there's a big advert just outside Colchester Station, which has got a picture of a magnum, which is, for those of you who aren't British, that's a ice cream encased in chocolate. Very nice. There's lots of rip-off versions of magnums sold by numerous supermarkets, and they're saying, that's not the real thing. That's fake. It's not as nice ice cream, it's not as nice chocolate, it's not as thick chocolate, it's not as deep ice cream. So you should be buying magnums. That's the real thing. Well, this joy we're after is the real thing. It's not a feeling happy, smiling joy. That happens, of course, in life. But we have moments of great joy, great happiness. It's that inner joy, it's the real thing. It's pure joy when we face the trials of life. Whether the trials make sense or not, the solution is all the same. We need to turn to Jesus and trust him for strength and wisdom and pure joy because he can be trusted. And God understands that it's not always easy to do that. Sometimes we have to, in the words of the hymn, and I love this hymn, we have to trace the rainbow through the rain. Sometimes we can be crying and desperately, desperately upset. But there's that rainbow that we can trace through the rain. That promise that God is in control and God does have a purpose. Sometimes joy is a distant, distant place. And don't despair this morning if you think that is impossible. Just trust God and ask God for help. He is a God who in verse 5 
we read here, gives generously to all without reproach. Do you know that joy this morning? Is Jesus your personal saviour? If not, I would encourage you to talk to somebody, come to Jesus, learn more about Christianity. Find out what it is to actually know that depth of joy in Jesus Christ. So that's the first one, with joy. Secondly, we read in verse 12, with resolve, remains steadfast. We know the testing of our faith develops perseverance in verse 3. And God is not the author of evil, suffering or trials, but he has a wonderful capacity to use them for our good. The Apostle Paul wrote, and we know that all things work together for good, as we said earlier, for those to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, this kind of testing in life can be compared perhaps to a refiner's fire. If you've ever seen gold being refined or silver being refined, the alloys come out and you get the precious metal at the end. And God is using it for good. We turn to him, we commit ourselves to him, and he allows the impurities of life to be removed from our lives. So we stand with resolve. We stand with strength. And not in our own strength, but in God's strength. Then thirdly, in verse 9, we read about we stand with boasting and humility. The, the lowly brother boasts in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. So trials remind the poor that they are rich in the Lord and therefore can lose nothing. And trials remind the rich that they are, dare not live for their riches or trust in them. So we boast in the Lord, not in ourselves. And then finally, with wisdom. In verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given to him. Wisdom is perhaps one of the greatest and most unusual qualities of life. James teaches that the only source for godly wisdom is, comes from above, and that's from God himself. We need God as our guide, our compass, and our source of wisdom. And God is not concerned about what you ought to be, as he is about who you ought to be this morning. So God's primary desire for you, for us, for me this morning, is not that we go down road A or road B or road C, we become a missionary, an evangelist, a nurse, a lecturer, a bus driver, a golfer. God's will for us is that we are like Christ and that we surrender our whole being completely to him and we allow the Holy Spirit of the living God to fill us. That is what God's primary desire for us, is that we are like Christ. All things hang on that completed, surrendered life to the Lordship of Christ. That is real wisdom. So we respond with joy, with resolve, with boasting humility, and with wisdom. So then finally, we looked at what we should expect, why we should have trials, and how we can respond. I'd like to close with the story of one man who had an enormous trial that's provided us with an example today. Having lost in a fire virtually everything he owned, the Spafford family made new plans, including a move from Chicago to France. Horatio Spafford planned a trip for his wife and his four daughters to be as trouble-free as possible. To transport them from America to France, he booked passages on a huge ship and made sure they had Christians with whom to fellowship with. En route. He planned to join them in a few weeks later. In spite of much careful preparation, 
Horatio Spafford's plans suddenly dissolved when the ship carrying his loved ones was rammed by another vessel and sank, carrying his four beloved daughters to their deaths. Spafford's wife, Anna, survived and sent him the now famous telegram, saved alone. Several weeks later, as Spafford's own ship passed near the spot where his daughters died, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write a hymn. And the words speak to us of the eternal hope that all believers have, no matter what pain, what grief, what trials, what temptations before, them, before us on earth, that deep inner joy that we are being made perfect and complete. He wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And we're now going to sing that hymn together. Thank you.